Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the podcast from another world. This is kind of a throwback slash update episode uh, from Dave, and I'll let him explain that a little more, but I just want to make sure that you guys know kind of what's going on around here before we begin this episode. So we have uh, a bunch of stuff planned for you for October. Um, everything is almost set and ready for the Rob Zombie Halloween episodes. So get ready for those. They're going to start on October 3rd, and they're going to go through the end of the month with one special episode. So there's four Rob Zombie movies, and then one very special episode, where I think that uh, for that last one, we're going to have another guest come along with us to talk about that movie when we get to it. Uh, I'm going to try to leave that as much of a surprise as possible until you listen to that. Now, I will say right off the bat, those are going to be quite a bit longer than the normal episodes that we, well, (laughs) longer than I normally have them, Um, and I know my episode's going to be really long, but please bear with them because they're a lot of fun, and I had a lot of fun recording them with Dave, so just be prepared that uh, you're going to get a lot of Rob Zombie when it's coming. And then uh, for the podcast itself, uh, 31 and 31 is starting on October 1st, so please make sure that you check out the YouTube channel and make sure that you check out uh, the Instagram TV page. Uh, I'll be doing quick 10-minute videos every day talking about the movies that I'm watching for the month and giving little mini-reviews. And then, uh, yeah, you'll get a normal podcast every freaking Saturday in October. And, man, this is a huge month. So, without further ado and not plugging myself anymore, I'm going to let you go ahead and uh, catch up with Dave and see what Dave's been doing. So, get ready for the podcast from another world with a very special uh Bonus, bonus episode. Anchorage from Polar Expedition 6. Anchorage from Polar Expedition 6. Can you hear me? Over.
one of you listening to my voice, tell the world, tell this to everybody wherever they are. Watch the sky. Welcome to another episode of the podcast from another world. Kind of. <laughs> What's up, guys? I'm your host, Phantom Dark Dave, and it's been a little while since I released an episode. And so I know I originally had some plans for the month of September, but life happens and things change. And that's why this episode is here, because things are changing. And now, for everybody that knows me, like really knows me, you're face palming and you're thinking, like, what is Dave changing again? And I'm here to say, back off. And yes. <laughs> so, no, everything's good, though, I promise. And uh, I'm not leaving. So n- nothing's, you know, for the five people that had their heart broke for five seconds. It's cool. Sew it back together. We good. Um, but seriously, I want to talk to you guys for a couple of minutes. And I'm going to do something that has kind of been requested, in a sense. So first thing I want to let you guys know is I'm sorry that there hasn't been a new episode that's actually new <laughs> for the month of September, but uh, Ed and I, we, you know, we got together and we did record that top five favorite that I promised, but I didn't have time to edit it. And I know that sounds cliche, like I ran out of time, but guys, my life is just, it's been picking up so much and things are really happening for me in a sense where I'm just really happy and I'm doing a lot of things and I'm noticing I just have a lot of goals and a lot of objectives that I want to conquer and I'm having fun and I love the podcast, but I'm running out of time for certain things. And you're probably thinking like, oh, does that mean that the podcast is going to stop? Not exactly. In fact, the reason why I'm running out of time is because I'm amplifying the things that I'm doing. And so let me explain. First, I want to let you guys know that Julie and I are going to be kickstarting a new podcast. And we talked about this before on a couple of other podcasts out there. You might have heard us on the Back in Time podcast. We did the My Girl episode. It was awesome. Shout out to those guys. They're in the SIP network, but you probably know them. But thanks for having us on because that was a lot of fun. Julie and I both just obsessively love Christmas. And so it's something that not a lot of people or the Christmas in July kind of person. And so I understand if you're not, and I respect it if you're not. But for those who want to tune in every now and then and hear about Christmas, or at least when Christmas comes, you'll have a new show to check out before Christmas gets here. Because we said originally we were going to do it now, but we just it's going to happen. I promise you that. We got logos made. We got entrance music made. We're working on the intro episode. We've got movies lined out. And so I want to tell you a little bit about it. I don't want to go too deep in it because we're going to have the introduction episode that gets further into detail, but I just want to let you know that it's going to be called It's Always Christmas Podcast. That's right. It's on Twitter right now. The handle is at the IAC podcast. So if you guys want to go ahead and give us a follow, you'll see us on there and we'd be happy to meet you and take requests as they come in. When we start doing the podcast, we're not going to start off with guests. We're just going to start off with just her and I and explaining to you guys why we love Christmas, why we've, how we've come together, and why we're choosing to do the podcast. And then once we start getting our feet wet with everything and figuring out the different kinds of episodes we want to do, we will start bringing you guys on, and it'll be a lot of fun. Outside of the Christmas thing, you guys may or may not know, and I'm here to tell you, Andy and I have teamed back up, so we're no longer doing the Black Cat Shadow podcast, but 
we're kind of redoing it, and we got a new show called the World of Horror Podcast. And so that is going to be a monthly podcast. We are basically going to just do like general chats back and forth about horror. And sometimes we're going to be running through a movie, not like a step-by-step, not like anything I would do here or Brian would do here, but more of just like, it's. And for, I want to say it's Andy's show. Like this is going to be Andy's podcast and he reached out to me and we both were feeling it and he just wanted me to back him up and be his co-host. And I'm so happy to do it because I love recording with Andy. I think we make an awesome team and I think that people will look forward to what we can bring. And it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be just like a casual show. And of course, I'm telling all you out there, we're going to be bringing you on to join us just in some really fun Halloween-related topics, you know, just all-around general chat horror podcast. And so that's going to be a lot of fun. And though an episode is not out right now, it will be before Halloween. I promise you that. The other thing I wanted to let you guys know is specifically what's going on with this podcast. So Yes, like I said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm still here. I'm still a part of this Terrible Terror podcast wrap-up where I do the podcast from another world. But I've decided to take the rest of the year off. Now, what that means is, you guys already know, this is the last episode of September. And what I've chosen to do is, people always tell me how they miss Days Pop Culture Podcast. And I hear you, like I do too. Like I'm not redoing it, but... It's a special place in my heart, and I realized that it affected more people than I know. So for the rest of the year, I'm going to dive back into my archives and release some episodes that you guys aren't able to listen to. Now, I know some of you may go on Spotify and stream it, but for some folks, they don't want to stream. They want to download. And so I'm going to be hand-selecting a few episodes between now and the end that I will give to Brian, and he will air And I'll do an intro and outro for him, something cool. But it's just, it's a way to kind of relive the past in the best way possible of saying this was a fun one. And and don't think I'm going to be too selective. Like if I don't play an episode, it's not because I dislike it or it isn't good, right? Like the first one I'm doing, the the one for today, it's because Halloween is right around the corner. I want to get you guys in the mood for Halloween. And this is it. This is a great one. This is going to be an underrated horror chat that I did with Neil. So it's perfect. For the month of October, you guys know that I wasn't going to release an episode anyway because I'm joining with Brian and we are going to be doing Rob Zombie Ween. And so there's, like I said, look, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just doing this other thing with Brian. So it's perfect. Now, after October is done and we are tired as hell, <laughs> November will come around and I'll, I'll dig into the archives and I'll pull a couple more episodes. When December gets here, that's when... I am going to do one more episode. Like, Dave, you just said you're done for the year. Like, okay, but I'm still going to give you one more. It's Christmas, and that's the one that I've been promising since day one, and I am not backing out. And that's Evan and myself doing Star Trek The Motion Picture. And what I'm going to do between now and then is I'm going to be focusing on all the podcasts that I'm contributing to, all the ones that I'm going to be a guest on, but also putting a lot of work into the motion picture episode because it's a movie that I just absolutely love and Evan loves it and I really have to give it 110% or I won't be happy with it because I mean essentially you only get one shot like once it's out it's out you know and I'm just I really want to make sure it turns out great and I think it'd be a really cool Christmas gift to everybody to be able to hear a motion picture episode and for those of you out there who are whispering under their breath motionless picture episode there's the door get out. (laughs) Uh, So let me reiterate. 
two new podcasts to pay attention to, and I will be on both if you enjoy me. Of course, check them out. But you guys are going to love Julie. If you heard her on the one episode we did for My Girl, if not, you're going to get an introduction to her. And it's going to be so cool, guys, because we're going to do like classic Christmas movies. We're going to do the Hallmark movies. There's some there's some really sweet Hallmark movies out there, and I'm a romantic guy. I like this kind of stuff, okay? And we're also just going to do like fun Christmas topics. Like we're going to talk about Christmas music and activities, and we'll just see where it goes. Her and I, we have a chemistry that's unlike anything else, and we want to share it with the world, okay? The horror podcast with Andy, the one that's called World of Horror, is going to be really cool. Again, it's Andy's show. I'm on it, and we've recorded a couple episodes that I'm so proud of. Like, I was so honored to be a part of them because they're so much fun, and I know you guys are going to love it. And it's, guys, it's just really cool to have Andy back. You know, I can't lie about that. And then, of course, you're going to have the motion picture episode here and some classic Dave's pop culture podcast episodes. And I'm, it's so cool because this is a way that people can possibly hear them for the first time. Because I know not every listener of Brian's is a listener of mine, and vice versa. And if somebody missed some of these episodes, here you go. <laughs> if you hate them, don't listen to them. No worries. Brian had nothing to do with it. So thank you guys for taking some time to hear me babble about my plans for the rest of the year. If you want to talk to me, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Dave underscore Phantom. If you have anything about movies, I'm down to listen and down to converse with you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this retro. No, that's taking it from back in time classic episode i guess we can go that way this is the day's pop culture podcast rewind that's kind of cool <laughs> whatever you want to call it give me that sweet intro <laughs> As Phantom Dark Dave enters on Dave's Pop Culture Podcast. I'm Vincent Price, and you're invited to my party in the house on Haunted Hill. Listen to them, children of the night. What music they a werewolf can be killed only with a silver bullet, or a silver knife, or a stick with a silver handle. Oh, it's alive! It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Dave's Pop Culture Podcast. I am your host, Phantom Dark Dave. And keeping the theme, we are stuck knee-deep in the middle of this horror craze. We're doing a fun general chat about underrated horror films. And so, joining me for this, you heard him on the Knight Rider episode. Please welcome back to the show. What's up, Good evening, everyone. How are you doing? Man, we're doing good, and I feel like we're about to get into a pretty intense conversation, if not just a lot of fun. Hopefully this will stay friendly. That's the best part about you being so far away. What's the worst that can happen? <laughs> yeah, I noticed we didn't do this while I was in America. That's right. You know, I think 
if you step on my toes, you just might see something that says Skype call ended. <laughs> That's the worst. <laughs> but it'll be fun because I know you're a big horror fan. I'm a big horror fan. And unfortunately, we couldn't get Jenny in for this because she had some other plans tonight. But I really had the podcast itch. And my buddy Neil was widely available. And he loves horror movies. So we're going to do this thing. Absolutely. Originally, we had the idea of doing kind of like a top five list. And then as we got to talking, it seemed like it would be a lot more fun to just have a general conversation about these underrated horror films because there might be some heavy crossover, but also it gives us kind of a sneak peek opportunity to include our honorable mentions. And so I'll kickstart us off, Neil. Are you ready to do yeah, this Yeah, go ahead. Let's do a fire one. All right. And I'm going to kickstart us off with a 2007 film from Lee Wannell and James Wan that I absolutely love. It's a creepy movie about a doll, but guess what? It's not Annabelle. It's a ventriloquist dummy. It's dead silence. Jamie? Jamie? ventriloquist who lost her voice back when i was a boy a little boy went missing there was only ever one suspect mary shaw she was murdered the men cut out her tongue and this town has been plagued by death ever since families found without their tongues She was buried with her doll collection. The children, as she called them. Somebody dug them up. All 100 of them. They came back. They didn't stay dead. Please tell me you've seen Dead Silence. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you, uh, we've spoken before about my love for creepy dolls and clowns and, and all things like that. And um, the, the ventriloquist dummy in this is certainly, certainly creepy. It gives you those old school vibes of Goosebumps with Slappy, which not to say that's the type of horror you get. It's glorified in a super creepy atmosphere. It's haunted by amazing score. And we have characters that we absolutely recognize and love for many different things, including Donnie Wahlberg, who made his appearance in the Saw films. But I got to say, I remember this movie. It came out. Blockbuster was still a thing. We brought it home. I was the only one who watched it because I'm the only one in my family in that household that watches horror. And I remember actually feeling terrified. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, I, I honestly 
didn't see it until I, it might have been two two years ago, three years ago. I didn't see it. Till, I mean, I knew him. I knew James Wan from the Saw films, from um, the Conjuring films, and I, I think it was actually my wife that we we, we stumbled across it on. It was either Netflix or Amazon, I forget which. And just, I mean, uh, that poster of the front cover of the DVD is, is uh, as we spoke about before. I'm, I love the the art of the poster and the and the, and the DVD art. And it's certainly something that as soon as I saw, I'd recognize it. Yeah, and I feel like listeners who maybe have never seen the film would truly recognize the thumbnail from, like you said, the streaming services. And I hope that they've stopped and listened to it and not skipped over it. But if anybody out there loves horror movies and you want to feel a genuine scare, you need to watch Dead Silence and get back to me. Absolutely. I'll hand it off to you. Bring one to the table. I'm going to take you back to 1997. Teenage Neil was uh, looking for something to watch at the cinema, and a little known, known at the time, a little known director called uh, Guillermo del Toro introduced us to a film called Mimic. The Strickler's disease came to New York like a thief in the night. It was deadly threatening to steal an entire generation of our children from before our eyes. Since it has proven to be virtually immune to chemical control, we had to find a new avenue of attack. We recombined DNA to create a biological counteragent. We call it the Judas Breed. Now, the cure they created has taken on a life of its own. So you think your little Frankenstein's got the better of you? They all died in the lab. But you left them out. Evolution has a way of keeping things alive. Sometimes an insect will evolve to mimic its predator. A fly can look like a spider. A caterpillar can look like a snake. They are breeding. Whatever it becomes, it destroys. Peter, these are lungs. Yesterday, it became human. If that thing has been around, nobody's ever seen it. I think we have. You see a sign of that thing? We changed its DNA. Mira Servino. Jeremy Northam. Josh Brolin, Charles Dutton, Giancarlo Giannini, F. Murray Abraham, Mimic. There's a, a massive cockroach problem in New York, and an entomologist develops a, a genetically modified cockroach to help exterminate other cockroaches releases it it's supposed to have a chemical that will kill these cockroaches after a certain amount of time cut to three years later they're not dead they've evolved into humanoid cockroaches which can mimic you know uh, q credit q credit uh-huh. uh, that can mimic human beings and it got really widely panned over here anyway this is terrible you shouldn't watch this film i've watched it again recently and i don't know why it gets the hate it did it's a very it's quite a dated film it looks 90s but you can see that the it was an early del toro film the film was really well made it was a unique cinematic monster the cockroach man yeah for really sure. really creepy really atmospheric 
I mean, it never made its budget back, and when it, it, it was a, it was a massive. <laughs> I think its budget was like 60, oh, 60 million, and it only made. I did or see that movie when it came out. It was uh, not a blockbuster rental, but it was one of those gas station store rentals. I remember bringing it home, watching it, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And at the time, those are the effects you're used to. And so I actually haven't seen this movie in quite a long time, but I feel like I know what you're talking about when you said it looks 90s, because correct me if I'm wrong, they did some CGI with the bugs and yeah, stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't no, practical. But the, the practical effects still look good. I mean, they always will. Sure, the practical Absolutely, ones, practical yeah. effects. But yes, it was it was in the fairly early days of. I mean, they only had a small budget. Uh, I think it was thirty million dollar budget. So, you know, you, they, they couldn't oh, wow. really bring in industrial light and magic to um, to, to do the bug. Yeah, a thoroughly enjoyable film. I mean, I'm not going to spoil anything. I'm, I'm you're a man who hates spoilers, so let's you know always try <laughs> try to avoid spoilers. But, I mean, but if you haven't seen it, you've had thir- uh, thirty years nearly. 20 years, 20 years. No, I've seen it. <laughs> yeah. But, um... <laughs> I ask you a question, though. Yeah. I know that movie made some sequels. Did you ever see I've any seen, of the sequels? Yeah, I've seen all of them. And I'm assuming those are not Guillermo del Toro related? No, and you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> okay, there it is. We'll, <laughs> yeah, we'll leave broadcast. it at that. But, I mean, I enjoyed them. I enjoyed all of them. I, uh, I, I like a franchise. I'm, I'm Like you, I mean, you, you, you sort of... I go through a similar thing to you where you you go, right, I'm going to watch this franchise. I'm going to watch all of this franchise, no matter no matter how bad a film or how good a film. I'm going to watch them all. I'm going to take you to 1990. And just a heads up, my list is going to be, from here on out, pretty, let's see, underrated horror means I'm definitely going to be heavy in the sequel territory. Because I got a lot of love oh, for too. sequels, as I've yeah. said before. And so I got to give some love to Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, Leatherface. Everybody and their mom loves Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1, including me, favorite one. A lot of people love Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. You'd be crazy not to. You get the 80s. Yeah, absolutely. But Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 was the first one that I noticed people started to hate on. And I understand that this movie was butchered. (laughs) Get it? Butchered. Several times. It went to the MPAA like 15 times or something. The movie kept getting an X rating. It had to dial it down. And that's something that horror movies in the 90s, as we may get into, had suffered from a lot, was they couldn't really figure out what was PG-13 and what was R, and things that were good got chopped up, and I can't stop making these cutting references, <laughs> get it? 
But, you know, something I love, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 has Vigo Mortensen. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 has Ken Forey, okay? And granted, the movie was filmed in California and not Texas. I'll give it to you, whatever. It did offer some pretty badass tension when these people get stuck in the house and have to battle this new family of people we haven't met outside of Leatherface. But we kind of get a little more focus on Leatherface, even though he's known as Junior in the movie. But the death scenes, if you go on YouTube and you actually search out director's cut versions, the death scenes are much more elaborate and extended, and you can kind of see what the director, Jeff Burr, was really wanting to bring to the screen before they, you know, New Line Cinema kept shutting him down. I feel like, and, and this is just being honest, New Line Cinema was really heavy with their Nightmare franchise, and when they obtained the rights for Texas Chainsaw, I feel like they were purposely pushing Chainsaw down and bring... You would think they'd want to bring both movies up, but I feel like they were given a lot more focus and leeway towards the Nightmare films than they were to Texas Chainsaw. But, dude, hands down, some of the death scenes... Look, I'll tell you this. Check it out. There's a scene where a guy gets hung upside down and he's, like, split open and his intestines are falling out and they cut a lot of it out. That's a nod to Ed Gein, who did that in real life. Okay, guess what? Leatherface was represented, you know, by Ed Gein. That was who it was supposed to pay homage to. Let me ask you a question, Neil. Can you think of a modern-day movie where a naked woman is hung upside down and she is split open, ass to skull? Uh, not, not one that I uh, want to admit watching, no. Um, but <laughs> Okay, well, I'll tell you a big one. It's a Netflix original, which is Terrifier. And everybody goes course, crazy over yes. that scene. That was supposed to be in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, but guess what? They said it wouldn't work, so they panned it down. And therefore, we have a movie that seems much more mediocre than it should have been. But I'll tell you right now, it's still... Yeah, I mean, I think this is this is why I think it gets a lot of the, the, the grief that it doesn't deserve. is because a at, at Texas Chainsaw, uh, Chainsaw Massacre audience is expecting gore. They're expecting gross-out uh, sort of death scenes. And when it gets watered down, stuff's taken out, you, you've lost your core audience almost... Um, it's, I mean, I've, I, I was a massive fan of, uh, of two. It's been a long time since I've seen three, but I know the scene. Once you think somebody gets split in half, it's not a film you forget. But, um, again, I mean, I, I, I have seen it. I thoroughly enjoyed it when I have seen it. Well, see, and that's something that sequels suffer from is, yeah, it's always hard to follow up on the original. And in this one, it was trying to follow up on two movies that Toby Hooper done. So we had somebody new doing Texas Chainsaw for the very first time. And Jeff Burr is an extremely credited director. The guy knows what he's doing. They had to film this over in California, right over by, what is it, the Magic Mountain area. So they had a hard enough time with just the space they had and the noise and everything to still compile what I feel like is a pretty damn cohesive film. And if you watch any behind the scenes or do anything, you can really tell that the movie that he intended on making was much better than what got put out. But even that aside, I remember being, I think I had to have been a preteen when this came out, say 90, and... We got to watch it on VHS, so maybe 92, 93. Well, I remember bringing this home from a video city, not knowing anything except for, oh, I'd seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre before, and I totally recognize this character, and this cover looks badass, and I love staying up and watching horror movies until I pass out, so I'm going to watch this movie. And I remember thinking it was just a great movie all around. And so taking everything aside of what the movie could have been and still taking it for what it is, it's a hell of a lot better, in my opinion, than Texas Chainsaw Massacre 4, Next Generation, but it doesn't even get the love that 2 has, and I feel like they're both great movies. Yeah, I mean, 
I think this is just one of those films where it's, it's almost like the production was cursed. I mean, Jeff Burr was yep. fired originally. He was hired to do it, fired. Then nobody else wanted to do it, so they rehired him. That's not a good start to to, to any kind of filmmaking process. You, you, you're fighting a challenge then. Then you're dealing with doing the third of anything is, is the hardest, you know, the difficult third album. It's, <laughs> it's the one where you're on a hide into nothing because it's almost you're going to get criticized whatever when you do a when you do a third of anything you got the third person playing leatherface now as well and i remember they actually wanted gunner hansen but they just couldn't get the money thing worked out which okay it is what it is but hell the guy his name is uh, r.a milhoff i've actually met him before uh, believe it or not at okay. Park. he was doing an appearance and it was great i got to meet him and he's just a cool dude he was you know a harley davidson dress guy he was a rocker through and through but i remember even after meeting him, and you can actually see him in Death House, oh, okay. too. He, he makes a cameo in that. He's got a shaved head and a beard now, big guy. But, man, he he brings it. Like, he is a totally believable leather face. And I love it. Yeah, I mean, also it was uh, Kane Hodder was the stunt director on this film. And sure the stand-in. And, and the stand-in, right. He even got to do the yeah. trailer before the movie was even made. But... Hey, man, I'm just saying, if you get a chance to watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, it's definitely a movie that I feel like fell in between the cracks for a lot of people. Check it out. I, I, it's definitely needing a rewatch, I'll tell you that now. Okay, so let's go back to 1988. There's a, uh, I don't know if you've heard of him, a little-known special effects guy called Stan Winston. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, a lot of people are going to know the monster, but they're not really going to know the film. So I'm talking about 1988's Pumpkinhead. Raising the dead ain't within my power. Will it be alright? Should I be afraid? She's got powers. Who are you? Ed Harley. What do you want, Ed Harley? Say You're looking for vengeance. Vengeance. Say There's no graveyard way back deep in them woods. The thing you're looking for is in there. movie it was one of the early films that you'd catch a glimpse of it here and there because i was only i would have been 10 or 11 when when this was being shown a really iconic look to that monster and i i remember he used to Pumpkinhead used to appear in the the magazines and the, and I'd, I'd see this monster no idea what film it was and it, it wasn't until sort of the, the early to mid 90s that I, I finally got to watch Pumpkinhead. um obviously lance henriksen stars in this and it's uh, it's what I would call a classic 80s 
monster flick. You know, the father and son, happy, loving family. Here come them damn kids mucking around on their bikes. Kid gets run over. Uh, and then we've got, uh, you know, a distraught Lance Henriksen looking for revenge. Here's about a witch in the woods. Goes to see her. She tells him of a curse, a pumpkin head. Uh, but once the, the curse has been set, it cannot be lifted. He sets the curse. Pumpkinhead arrives. He then sort of hears about the killing, starts to have regret, and sort of he's been haunted. Um, and when he looks into the law, he, re- he realizes that the killings aren't going to stop with the kids. He has to be the final sacrifice. So the film is him then trying to stop Pumpkinhead. Amazing special effects. Great cast. Just a real rip-roaring good time, I think they would call it. Absolutely brilliant film, but again, one that has got a really terrible Metacritic score. People criticise the acting, the the look and feel of it. I, I'm not sure what these people are kind of after that criticise films like this. Yeah, that's a movie that I actually saw for the first time within the last five years. And I was really pleased with the outcome. And I'm not going to say I had much expectation, but I definitely wasn't riding the waves of anything negative. I was just ready to see what this movie was all about. And kind of like you said, I recognized the creature from magazines. I was like, oh, that's that pumpkinhead creature. But avoiding spoilers and everything, just watch the movie fresh. I immediately fall victim just being a parent myself to like, oh my gosh, this is traumatic. And so he wants to seek revenge. And then I'm like, wait, he's going to a witch? I thought this was a monster movie. And then like, oh, we're going to bring back the, oh, okay, I see what's happening. And not knowing much about Stan at the time and then going back and doing research and seeing just like, wow, this guy is amazing. No wonder the effects and the creature in this movie are top notch. And so when I watched this movie, I just couldn't imagine anybody not liking it unless they just don't like horror. So, yeah, definitely an underrated movie. And another movie that spawned off many sequels but i think this one is the one that truly yeah i mean shines. this was this was one of stan winton did not direct many films but he he directed this one as well it was it sounds to me like it was very much a kind of pet project of his um you know obviously he did all the special effects he directed it it's a really good fun film if you're after a sort of throwaway 80s classic monster flick that's that's good and looks good and still holds up you can't you can't go wrong with a pumpkin head. Even to this day, you know, as much as I research and lock things down, and I have to be knowledgeable on a podcast. I will always get Lance Hendrickson and Scott Glenn <laughs> crossed over. I don't know if you've ever had that problem, but I'll see one in a movie. I'll be like, which one's that one? Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> and so when I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, it's Scott Glenn. No, it's Lance Hendrickson. And and granted, I will say I am much more of a Lance Hendrickson fan because of the type of movies he's involved in. Both phenomenal actors. But if anybody out there doesn't know who I'm talking about, look these two actors up: Lance Hendrickson, Scott Glenn. Uh, I think Scott Glenn. I think he was in Training Day as well. But it's so funny to see them and go, they could be brothers. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 that doesn't happen to me purely because. Just Lance Henriksen is just synonymous with Bishop from Aliens, and that was one of the films that I would watch religiously, and it's just ingrained. I can recognize him from a mile off. It's just, that's Lance Henriksen. I recognize his voice instantly. It's, it's just, I'm so used to Lance Henriksen. Well, see, I thought it was your love for Abominable that did it. <laughs> that's well, yes. <laughs> Shout out to Brian, Terrible Terror Podcast, Abominable episode. It's fantastic. It's an oldie, but it's good. 
I'm going to go ahead and I mentioned the Nightmare franchise already. I'm going to dive into it. I think a lot of people know how I feel about this. My favorite Nightmare on Elm Street film is definitely one that gets shit on all the time, and that's from 1985, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Someone is coming back to Elm Street. He is not friendly. He is not patient. And he is not a welcome visitor. No! No! Special for the new kid on the block. It's not going to happen again. Dad! You're in trouble. You've had some scary dreams, okay? Help! Daddy can't help you now. There's something inside of you. Fight him! You are not afraid of him. He doesn't even exist. Freddy Krueger is back on Elm Street. They call it the gayest horror movie ever made. I say one of the most underrated horror movies ever made. I watched this movie as a kid, you know, not picking up on any windows, just watching it as a movie. And I'm thinking, this is an awesome movie. You have a guy as the lead. That's cool. You have Freddy Cougar coming out of his shell and he's on screen and he's being funny and horrific. That's cool. We have characters that you can't wait to see die and then characters that you can care about. And so when their demise comes, you're attached to them. Okay, I'm invested. You have amazing, and I'll say it again, amazing practical effects in this movie. I don't think it's Stan Winston, but whoever did it did a phenomenal job. And you have a pool party scene that goes completely haywire and kids get fucked up. I mean, to me, this was just an awesome Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I can see what they were trying to do with the – because of the, the, the essentially the runaway success of the first one. It was a, okay, well, let's, I think they might have envisioned, I'm sure, I'm sure I watched a documentary where they were sort of envisioning Nightmare on Elm Street to be like a series of stories. So it would be a different character every film. Sure. And I did find the lead character a little annoying, but okay. I absolutely love the film i love the fact that freddy's not this mis- quite as mysterious as he was in the first one it's just like we've this is our money maker let's let's get him in as much of this film as possible it set the tradition for the rest of the series essentially with freddy cracking Absolutely. wise and 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 um, being on screen a lot more but it it was a uh, again I, I watched it probably a couple of months ago and um Again, thoroughly enjoyed it. It's um, there are some really dislikable characters in here, and, and you, you're pretty glad when a lot of them get their comeuppance. So that's always good. I remember when watching this. There's a character named Ron Grady. I think he goes by Grady, and he starts off being kind of the one that picks on the main character, but then they kind of become close because they get in trouble a lot. So then they become buddies. And I remember thinking his character was just awesome. And what happens with him and the story? always stands out in my mind as being the part that was just really badass. I was just like, 
oh my god, that was, did anybody, I'm like looking around the room, like, do you see that <laughs> shit? <laughs> I just, oh man, I mean, that character, that actor, I like him anyway from other films. He did some some of my favorite Stephen King work as well. But it's just, with the purpose of talking about underrated movies, I can't walk into any Nightmare on Elm Street conversation where 90% of it goes from one to three. Like, oh, the original, oh, Dream Warriors. Yeah, both are great, but does nobody in here love Freddy's Revenge like me? Um, a bit of trivia that I read was that Michael J. Fox was actually considered for the lead role. That would have been a hell of a score, because unfortunately he couldn't do it because he was filming Back to the Future and Teen Wolf at the time, but that would have been a hell of a year for Michael J. Fox. That- <laughs> if the movie would have been the same, it might have been the one no one talked about, <laughs> but you know, again, if Michael J. Fox was in it, it probably would have been an even more successful film, but I am happy to say, even though I do consider this an extremely underrated movie, I think it's finally found kind of a target audience, at least with a modern yeah. audience, and it's finally at least getting some. Love. Well, I mean, it, it so grossed twice as much as the original film, so it wasn't a it wasn't a, a failure in, in box office terms. But I'm glad that it's it's getting the appreciation that it deserves now. Yeah, Mark Patton, awesome. Absolutely. Okay, so I'm going to go into the 2000s now. From director Steve Bett, who uh, went on to direct Thirteen Ghosts, and he was a special effects guy on Abyss. He brought us one of my Guilty pleasures of a film, Ghost Ship from 2002. Mr. Murphy, I'm Jack Diamond. I fly the Arctic Weather Patrol. Last month, I was out in the middle of the street when I came across this. Congratulations, you found a boat in the middle of the ocean. What do you think a ship like this could be worth? Depends on if we have the right to salvage it. I do know one thing, sea gives you an opportunity to take it. Murph, I think you should get up here. It's an ocean liner. It's the Antonio Grasa. Any sign of what might have happened? Nothing. No passengers. No crew. No captain. No mention of anything in the ship's log. What do you make of that? A cruise ship. I think I saw something I couldn't possibly have seen. This film is, again, it's, it's just one of those really fun sort of ninety-minute films where it's just it's creepy. It's it's got a, you know it's got a, a you know a cast of you know Gabriel Byrne, 
uh, Ron Eldard, Carl Urban's in it, and the very, very young Emily Browning. It's a really, it's a really, really good cast. And the, the opening scene of this film is considered, or should be considered, I think, one of the, the, the greatest opening sequences in any horror film, to be honest. It's a hell of a way yeah, to start it's a movie. it really sets a tone. I mean, when I first watched it, it was, again, I saw the, the poster, the skull on the, the front of the ship, and I saw it in, again, I think I got this from Block, I think I got this from Blockbuster because I saw, I saw the box and it was an instant, I've got to see that. So you rent it, I get home and that opening scene within five minutes, um, I think I'm going to like this film, but it's got uh, mostly filmed on the, um, on the Queen Mary, which, um, I believe Jenny spent her birthday on. So, uh, recently, so shout out to oh. Jenny, lucky. I've always wanted to go on the Queen Mary, but um, <laughs> but um, yeah, this essentially, if, if if nobody has seen this film, it's um, uh, firstly why not? You, you need to go and see it now. But it's essentially about a salvage crew that discovers um, an old 1960s cruise liner, and um, whilst they're searching through the ship, they discover it full of old Nazi gold and uh, and something else spooky, <laughs> um, <laughs> and. Um, it's, it's just it's an absolutely brilliant fun film. There's a there's one scene where they're they're eating some food out of a tin that still yeah still makes yep. me gag. Yep. <laughs> Always check your ravioli. It's awesome. still makes me gag to this day. It's um uh, it's absolutely brilliant film. I, I yeah. You know what, Neil? There is only one can in the world that I don't even check. I just open it and consume it. <laughs> that wouldn't begin with an M, would it? <laughs> I am, uh, yes <laughs> yeah dude I, I hear stories about look inside your monster can and I'm thinking why look when you can taste <laughs> and so one of two things is going to happen one I'm going to get energized really quick or two I'm going to get rich really quick either yeah, way well quick. I mean yeah don't drink it on the ghost ship that's uh, that's that's my only advice <laughs> <laughs> you know I actually saw ghost ship in theater I have good memories of this it was a united artist in Grand Prairie Texas I went with my aunt we, this was our type of shit. We love horror movies. We love it when they raise the bar or the line. Huh? And I got to say, man, the movie just, it looked awesome. It felt awesome. And anything that ends with a mud vein track, oh, I'm yeah. in. And yeah. so this movie had rock and music. And I remember just thinking, oh, that's bad. This, yeah, I mean, this was, people, people shit on the early 2000s cliche of rock tracks on uh, horror films. I wish that would never end. That that's a staple. It's peanut butter <laughs> I, and jelly. I expect my horror films to have a rock soundtrack, and I'm disappointed when I don't. Yep. Yeah. Prime example. Go watch a YouTube video for the some of the newer Mortal Kombat video games that are really brutal, and there's rap music. It does <laughs> not work. It does not work. You turn around and you play Rob Zombie or Marilyn Manson on there. I, I draw the line at uh, rap metal. That's the cutoff there. I am going to go into a franchise that I'm extremely passionate about. And I actually have two movies I want to talk about from this franchise. And this is the only time I'm going to do this. And so, Neil, since we're having this conversation, I can bring up both movies or we can go one by one. Which do you prefer? Oh, hit me with both. I absolutely love these two underrated Halloween films... And they are Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Oh, 
Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. Do you know why we celebrate Halloween? A long, long time ago, it was a night of great power. When the days grew short, all across the land, huge bonfires were lit. Oh, there was a marvelous celebration. And they dressed up in costumes, hoping to ward off the evil spirits, especially the boogeyman. I don't think I'm too far from the truth when I say you and I both absolutely love Halloween three season of the witch. Yep, you, right? That was going to be my number one on my, uh, on the list. of. Uh, yeah. That was going to be my number one also. That's funny. Okay. Let's just start with that. I know we said we do both, but you and I both know this movie is severely underrated because Michael Myers is not in it. That's the reason why 75% of people out there, and I'm not hating on my dedicated horror community. I know the true horror people do love this movie. But for the most part, the world was like, to hell with Halloween 3. Michael Myers isn't even in it. So so many people have not even seen the damn Well, did uh, IMDb have taken the word Halloween 3 off the title of this film? If you try and search for Halloween 3, it comes up just Season of the Witch. It will not come up. I'm doing it now. It that recognizes that it's Halloween 3, but it will just say Season of the Witch. You're right. You're right. That's so cool. And it has it in like small print, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, original yeah. title. Um, but they're like, that's not what we're calling it. That is going to help that movie. Not to mention Amazon Prime. If you haven't seen it, go freaking watch it. I may be talking to you, Kyle Autry, from the Back in Time podcast. If you've heard this episode, I hope you had already seen this movie right now because you should be reviewing it in the near future. We are in the Halloween month. But damn it, don't listen to anybody if they say this movie sucks because Michael Myers is not in it. Because this movie doesn't suck. It's an 80s horror classic with amazing effects and an overall just good time. Yeah, I mean... I think we discussed this on um, when I did the um, the first shoot the breeze with you. That had Halloween three not been called Halloween three and just been called Season of the Witch, this film would have exploded at the box office. The fact that they they I think they shot themselves in the foot by calling it Halloween three, but this film is amazing. I mean, uh, first is directed by Tommy Lee Wallace, who you would know from Fright Night Part two and a, a whole ton of Twilight. Twilight Zone episodes. It stars and Stephen King's absolutely, it, absolutely. It stars Tom Atkins, you know, from The Fog and Night of the Creeps, which may well end up on one of your lists as well. It's it was one of the first horror films that I I ever saw. I, I can I can remember exactly where I was when I was watching the scene with the insects in the mask. I was my grandma's house. It was quite rare back in back in the the eighties to have spare tvs in the house and there happened to be this one in the spare bedroom at my grandma's house i was flicking to the channels at midnight and on comes probably about after the first 20 minutes of halloween 3 so i started watching this film and then it got to the bit with the 
<laughs> the mask and the the cut the head crushing and the and the bugs and it yeah that was not a good thing to watch before you go to bed when you're when you no especially at the age where you probably look forward to wearing a Halloween yes, mask um I mean I I I also I don't know if you, we want to spoil the I mean it was 1982 people should have seen it by now but the ending to this film is one of my favorite endings ever because bad guy wins. <laughs> That's right. It's always a good day for us horror fans. <laughs> a shout out to Andy. Uh, everybody knows Andy. He joins me for the 80s horror reviews. We did Black Cat Shadow together. Uh, like you, Neil, he, us three, and even Jenny. Shout out to Jenny, too. I can't leave. I'm sure, God, so many of our people out there love this movie, but people who have specifically told me, you know, I know for a fact love this movie. And it's so great because... On the, one of the last episodes I had, Andy even talked about on YouTube. There's a fan-made sequel <laughs> to this. That I need find. to look up. It's about a, I think he said it's like an hour long or something. But long story short, it's not a great movie, but it's so cool just to see somebody want to see a sequel to this movie because the way this ends, hell yeah, let's get yeah, another. I mean, one. I, I, I've all, I've never legitimately heard anybody give me decent reason why they don't like this film I, I, whether this is just one of those films that it's uncool to like so people just go oh I hate it because that's the thing you say it's kind of well watch it watch it and tell me you don't like it because <laughs> I hate it because the yeah. internet tells me to hate it and I'm like well you know what first I slap <laughs> him in the mouth and then the second one I goes Michael Myers is in this movie because there's a scene where somebody's sitting in a bar and on the TV the original Halloween movie is playing and you see Michael Myers so technically he is in it <laughs> fuck you That's what yes. but no seriously man this movie it's so cool and t- look everybody knows I'm a huge fan of Halloween 1 and 2 talk about favorite horror ever this movie is like just like you said earlier from the nightmare thing you know a different story each movie this was supposed to do the same thing every halloween was going to be a different story we, we have anthology films that do that now and people were quite okay with that well some more than others but let me tell you something if there's a movie that truly captures the holiday and, and the spirit of halloween it's halloween yeah thing. absolutely it's um you, you go go on go on to twitter now and I guarantee you, almost every, especially in the, in the horror community, almost every other tweet about Halloween has got a gif of the three masks dancing to three more days to Halloween. I guarantee it. Yeah, yeah right? it, it's again. This is you know like like um, No Man Elm Street too. It's it's gone past being a cult following. It's now getting appreciated for for the film that that, that it actually was. Um, I'm still annoyed that IMDb have dissed it by uh, removing Halloween three from the title. Do you consider it a diss, though, or more like an honor, so hoping more people will try it out? Oh, you could look at it that way. <laughs> I'm trying to. <laughs> no, but it's it's one of those movies that I promise, like, I could just, it could be on. And if I just happen to, like, I don't channel click, you know, I don't watch live TV anymore. I don't have cable or anything like that. You know, I stream or I put in a disc or a VHS tape or a laser disc, <laughs> say something. But, you know, when this movie's on, I just get excited and I want to finish it. It's surrounded by everything that makes horror great, and we get that catchy ass song <laughs> that you were just saying. And it'll no, never it's, leave it's you. My, if somebody says, "What is your go-to film for the Halloween time of year?" It's Halloween Three. It, it's it's the perfect Halloween film. There it is. All right, jumping <clears> to <throat> another 
Halloween film that I think is perfect, it's Halloween 6, Curse of Michael Myers. And earlier, you used the term curse when you talked about the way a production was cursed. I've watched so much behind the scenes and making of and read so much trivia and watched this film so many times. I completely understand all of the issues that they had. And I get that, you know, when studios get involved, when directors aren't true fans of certain things. But let me tell you something. The guy who actually wrote Halloween, Curse of Michael Myers, he's like me, man. He's like you. He is an uber fan of the series. And it is explained throughout this movie with callbacks to just people's names places that are visited things that are used in this film i mean we get we get reoccurring characters and though this movie does suffer from unfortunate time frames where certain people weren't available or certain people wanted different money to be involved you know this movie it got dissected in the early stages of the script the movie that is isn't the movie that was written and that's not necessarily a bad thing because I can specifically remember getting, and shout out to Andy again, because I know he loves this movie. He's listening. He's like, hell yeah, Dave, Curse of Michael Myers. I saw that shit in theater. Yeah, you did. I didn't, but I saw this shit on VHS when I was a kid. I got it from Blockbuster as a Christmas present. I remember opening it slowly and seeing that Michael Myers face with the blue tint and the knife and the... I just, this is so... Thank you so much. Like, I don't know why it's so hard for family members to buy you fucking presents that you like, but, you know, don't buy me something you spent... $300 on that I don't even know what the hell it is. Why don't you give me a $25 gift card or buy me the DVD that I actually fucking want? That's amazing. So when someone gives you a horror movie for, I don't even care if you have the movie already. When you see the thought in that horror, you're just like, man, that's awesome. Thank you so much. I can at least (laughs) trade it in. But I remember the Halloween franchise is the number one horror franchise I saw on television. They would play it all the time on like TBS and TNT and USA and all those networks. And I would always love them. But when I got to actually own Halloween and Curse of Michael Myers, I wore this fucking tape out. And I loved it so much. And look, we got Paul Stephen Rudd. Okay, we got early Paul Rudd in this movie, bringing back the loved character Tommy Doyle from the original Halloween. We haven't seen from or heard from since. And now he's obsessed with Michael Myers. That's fucking awesome. Okay, we have Donald Pleasance coming back. That's fucking awesome. We have a reoccurring soundtrack of the theme. That's fucking awesome. We have some intense death scenes. And for a lot of people that don't know, I remember when I saw this as a kid, it took me a couple of watches to kind of get my mind around what was happening. But long story short, okay, we have the events of the original Halloween movies. Guess what? They happened. Great. So this is canon. Already, I'm I'm on board with this. And we have... It's a different family, but guess what? It's related family. So if you're trying to figure it out, I'll cut it down for you. Anybody who's listening who doesn't know or it wonders what kind of movie this is, in the beginning of the Halloween films, you have the Strode family, right? We have Lori Strode. We have her parents. Okay, they live here. They're trying to sell the Myers house. Well, guess what? The Myers house has held so much bad juju that it can't be sold. So guess what? The brother moves into the house, and he's also with Strode Realty, and he moves into the house because he can't sell it, so he gets it on the cheap. And guess what? Michael Myers comes home, and he's going to kill you if you're living in his house. And that's what you get. You also have Kim Darby, who's in this movie. Guess what? I've talked about Kim Darby recently. She was in the 1970s classic, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. I love that movie. Shout out to my uncle. He loves that movie. This there's nothing fucking wrong with this movie. Like I will fight any like I'm like Yui Bowl over here. I will fucking fight you if you talk shit about the curse of Michael Myers. Go ahead and say something <laughs> like that. 
Yeah, I don't say anything else. No, I mean, I, 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 I absolutely agree with you. It's, um, it's been a hell of a long time since I've seen six. I know it's got, it's a crazy cult in there, isn't it? It's, um, is it the cult of thought? Is it the cult of yeah. thorn? Yeah. Cult of um, thorn, yeah. Yeah, there's bits of this film that I kind of remember more than, more than others. I, I remember the cult. I remember the family moving back into the house. But it's not a film that, that I've seen that much, actually, thinking about it. And it's, um, it's a film that I'm definitely going to have to rewatch. I feel like you would appreciate this much more now, seeing a lot of what the Halloween franchise has become. And you could actually appreciate what the writer was trying to do because he had been writing the script for years in his life, always doing research and jotting down just little key notes. I mean, I don't want to throw out too much spoilers, but like you said, this is a movie that, you know, is pretty old. People should have seen it by now. But just in case you haven't, I'm not going to ruin it for you, but we get Dr. Wynn. Okay, Dr. Wynn was in a few minutes of the original. He's back. That's another reoccurring character that's fucking awesome. We get Jamie Lloyd, reoccurring character from 4 and 5. I mean, how cool is this? This guy, he sits here and he, he spiderwebs out an outline of little pieces of different movies that he can bring together. And he tries to give us a very respectable sequel that got butchered by producers and got butchered by directors. And... It's unfortunate, but it's still a really good movie the way it is. And they actually made a producer's cut. And though I do prefer this version that did come out of it more, because maybe nostalgia, maybe just because it's the version I know, it's the version I love, I still enjoy the producer's cut. It's still okay, but it goes in a different way. So I will just share my underrated love for this one, because despite everything... There are some badass death scenes in here. There are some badass just cat and mouse chase scenes, which typically I'm not a cat and mouse guy. I get kind of worn out. But in this one, yeah, just, I mean, wasn't wasn't this the film that Donald Pleasance was filming when he when he died? This was his last movie. Like it, when this movie ends, it's in memory of Donald Pleasance. Yeah, you know? uh, I think he he died. He hadn't completed his scenes, which I think caused some of the the issues with the the rewrites and the reshoots and. Uh, again, this is another one of those films that just suffered from meddling from from suits thinking they know best. Now, but this is what we do with Michael Myers. We do this, we do that. This is what's going to make money, uh, you know, sort of to hell with your vision your, for, for this project. But yes, I, I certainly remember the. That's another thing I remember is the is the in memory of Donald Pleasant's bit at the end. I watch this movie now, and I can see the imperfections that people and critics would want to call out about how the movie was clearly spliced and how, you know, some parts may be incoherent if you want to go down that route. But if you go down that route, you can turn around and go fuck yourself and go right back the other way. Cause this is a one way street and this movie kicks ass. I love Chris Michael Myers. George P. Wilbur plays Michael Myers. This was the first time in history that somebody had played Michael Myers twice before Tyler Maine did it in Rob Zombie's movies. And he played Michael Myers in about 90%. They did a reshoot, and then they used another actor for one scene, but they let George P. Wilbur be an extra in the movie just to kind of make up for it. And that's cool also. And so I challenge anybody, if you like the Halloween franchise, especially the 2018 bullshit, give this movie some love. Curse of Michael Myers It's not a bad movie. It has its issues. It suffers from being in the 90s. But you know what? It's still a hell of a badass nod to what the franchise is. Yeah, I also think this is the this this suffered from the 
the the thing when when the slasher films were sort of dying out originally, sort of the the early nineties, it was becoming less and less popular. People were moving into sci-fi and that kind of horror more than your traditional slashes, and I, um, I think it was a victim of its time. I think it's just people were not into that sort of stuff anymore at the time. But um, no, I love the film. I'm, I'm with you. I'll hand it over to you, but I just want to say again, like I get really passionate about this. But Halloween Six, Curse of Michael Myers. I remember watching VHS tapes in my room. I had nothing to do. Uh, except that's all I wanted to do anyway, so the hell with it. Outside of leaving to get a Slurpee, because Monster wasn't a thing yet. Uh, just kicking back, drinking sodas. And there was some movies that I had bought. And I remember seeing a trailer for a movie called Halloween 666, The Origin of Michael Myers. And I wish to freaking gosh that I still had that tape. Because even though you could probably YouTube that, that's what this movie was originally called. Halloween 666, The Origin of Michael Myers. And a lot of that stuff was scrapped, and it was... They say that there was so much crap on the set that the I think it was the producer, I could be wrong, but somebody said that this film was cursed and they actually called the movie Curse of Michael Myers. Uh, if only you could have yeah, kept hold of that, the original name, and that could have been worth um, a little bit of money now. Maybe, but you can probably YouTube. Yes, absolutely. As, as you can with anything nowadays, which is, we talked about it before, it's where I get most of my films from, but, um, you know. Nothing nope. wrong with that. Okay, I'm I'm going to go slightly out of left field here. We're going to go to 2011. The great thing about horror is that there are so many different subgenres and and different types of horror. This is a film that I disturbed me. I mean, I, I'm quite hard to disturb. I've got a very a very sort of dark sense of uh, of humor. I've got. Um, I don't get grossed out easily, but this is a film that I had to take a shower after watching. It's from 2011. It's The Human Centipede 2. Hey, I hope you're not time-wasting, you. We've got a dozen people waiting to look at this place. Hey, come on, let's get this lease signed, eh? your mother is very worried about you. He keeps on talking about a centipede with 12 people. <laughs> what does that mean? The centipede can be considered a phallic symbol. Centipedes are very aggressive creatures. Their bite can be very painful. What are you looking at? Connecting the pain that a centipede inflicts with the psychological and sexual abuse inflicted on him by his father. There's nothing to worry about. I'm sure it's just a passing phase. Hmm? What is this? A hundred percent medically accurate? One digestive system? Is this a perverted film you've been talking about? This isn't right, Martin. What you're doing, it's wrong. (laughs) 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 (laughs)
there are a few films <laughs> that really gross me out. I mean, you could, if you've watched a Serbian movie, if you've seen Itchy the yeah, Killer, this is yep. basically the, the Holy Trinity. This is the third. This is the third. I was going to say, this is a pattern of jizz right here. I don't know where you're going with this. <laughs> I didn't think of that. Shout out to Corin, by the way. Uh, not because of jizz, but he likes messed up horror movies, so he's probably laughing. Um, this is a film that, that I've never watched a film that I can kind of, you can almost taste it while you're watching it. It's kind of, not because of the jizz. Not because of the jizz. Oh, God. Um, One of the worst movies to taste. It's, it's, um, it's an absolutely disgusting film that I really, really enjoy. It's basically a, a guy, Martin, who's, who's mentally challenged, who is absolutely obsessed with the original Human Centipede. So in this universe, the Human Centipede was a real film. He's obsessed with it to the point of trying to recreate what he's been watching in the film. It's shot in black and white, which is a really nice, you know, I thought was a really nice art a sort of artistic way of doing it it turns out it was only shot in black and white because the it was so gruesome and so gory that they were made to put it into black and white to cut the gore out it's like i said it's one of the few films that that i felt physically dirty after watching which to its credit is i think what they set out to do oh yeah yes yeah he's he's (laughs) absolute nutcase but he does this film it's disgusting it's gory. It's gruesome. It's brilliant. It's um, really well acted. The, the actual the, the lead in it, he he never actually speaks. He's he's completely mentally challenged. He lives at home with with his overbearing mother. He works as a I think it's a night watchman in a parking garage. There are some scenes in this. I don't know if it was your podcast or I heard I was listening to a podcast recently where they talked about the baby incident. Oh yes, uh, we did talk about that on this podcast. That's a. Uh, that was actually a scene, I believe Corin asked me a question in my Ask Anything episode that I did with Ed when we talked about Aquaman, and I purposely brought up Halloween, or see, I can't get this shit out of my head, uh, Human Centipede 2, of just being like balls to the wall, insane, but loving every second of it, and the scene that will always stick with me is the uh, self-delivery and uh, destruction. Yes, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it was the sort of thing that... Neil, I had never seen a delivery and... An abortion all in the same 30 <laughs> no, seconds. Uh, I, I kind of, I, I don't really want to see it again, to be <laughs> honest. But I mean, I, I actually, I didn't really like the first one. And the third one is just insane. Um, I'm not even sure what the third one was supposed to be, but it was, it was just an insane film. But this film, the second one, for some reason, just absolutely hooked me when, when I started watching it. But I, 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 it's the sort of film I don't even know if I can describe. I, I, I think it's just a case of if you like really really dark uh disturbing horror go and watch the human centipede too because it won't disappoint <laughs> yeah and if you like the first one but you felt like you wanted a little more out of it watch part two because all the negative things i've heard and i agree with you dude definitely underrated all the negative things i've heard from people who watch two it seemed like it's not the people that go, this whole thing is disgusting and messed up. It's people that's like, well, I liked the first one, but this one's just crazy. And I'm like, okay, first, check your content. What, what did you expect? And then two, well, the definition of a sequel is more blood, more gore, more insanity. You know, you got to capitalize on everything that 
maybe they were afraid to do in the first one or take what they did in the first one and amplify it. And that's what you get in this. You get a crazy ass backstory of this character. Like you get to take a nosedive into his personal life and see maybe kind of why he's a little messed up. You get a movie that is shot in black and white for the purpose of how gritty it is, like you said. And I think that that actually helps the movie. I think it makes it more horrifying, takes you back to your roots, of, you know, classic horror, but it, it throws in what you're able to get away with today. And then, just to show you, like, the first movie is supposed to be believable. Okay, it's supposed to be like, if this was medically accurate, this is kind of how it would go. And you're like, okay, cool. So you take this one, where they say it's medically inaccurate, and you take somebody who's obsessed with it and wants to make it his own, this is kind of what it would look like, and you're like, shit. And it's scary in a way that... People who watch certain slasher films, they prefer slashers because they're like, oh, I don't really like monsters. I like to watch horror that's kind of believable or something that I can, what that could actually happen. Well, you know what? This could actually happen. The thing with the sequel is where do you go from a film where you stitch three women face to ass? Oh, I know. Let's stitch eight people <laughs> face to ass. And <laughs> Multiply. It's. It's just insane. It's absolutely insane. And I would be horrified if anybody walked in on me watching it. But it's it's fantastic if I, film. If I walked in on you watching it, I'd be like, Neil, yeah, can well, we start yeah. it over? Yeah, you might be all right. But, uh, you know, <laughs> it's, um, I made sure there was nobody else in the house when I watched it. It's, uh, it's that kind of um, – but it, it's a great film. <laughs> so not a movie you watch at no, work, No, huh? no, no, not one of my, not one of my go-to um, – not for you. <laughs> yes. Uh, NS, it was it NSFW? Definitely. And I also I want to point out there are two versions of this film. If you watched it on Netflix, you only saw the rated R version. The unrated version is worse, if you could even. Yeah, I, I, I'm honestly not sure which one I watched. I mean, uh, there are scenes in this. I mean, there was the, the scenes that stand out. There's, there's a, just a, where he's just going to the, he's going for a piss in the toilet, and it's just it's just basically blood red. He's just. It's it's like a five second shot, but it's kind of I can't get it out of my head. Well, I could tell you the one scene that was cut dramatically and that'll forever stay with me, but I I'm afraid it would spoil something for the audience. So should I tell you off mic, or should we say uh, we'll use it as a heads up? This is what you're getting into. Uh, to be honest, I think if you're getting into this film, you're getting into this film because you want to see how nasty it is. So okay. So the biggest scene that I noticed that was cut, because I had bought it on Blu-ray the day it came out. I saw it in the store, and I go, ooh, 15 bucks Blu-ray? I'm getting this. Like, I love the first one. This is cool. And I watched it, and um, it, it served all of my needs. I was like, that was crazy awesome. Like, oh, man, I love to talk to people about this movie. And then I remember when they put it on Netflix, I got excited because I had, I ended up having to pawn it for money back in the day. That was an issue. And so I was excited to get to watch it again, and I remember thoroughly enjoying it and then going wait a minute that scene did, I know that scene was supposed to happen and so I would say towards the end of the film when shit has definitely hit the fan and things are falling apart there is a scene where he raps and again spoiler right now skip ahead you know three minutes if you don't want to hear this our main character wraps barbed wire around his dick and rapes the girl at the end of the yeah. centipede and that is in the actual version. And if you watch the rated R version, that shit is completely cut out. And I remember it's horrifying by nature, but it's somehow even harder to watch because that girl is like reaching up in front to the girl and they're like squeezing hands. And it's just like a, 
you just feel the human emotion of this is like the worst thing in the world happening right now and the person's trying to comfort her knowing that sh- the person behind her is just shit up. Yeah, and it's just his creepy laugh. He he absolutely nailed that creepy laugh. And oh, oh it's, he did. Well, I mean, what I like about the, the series of films is that all the characters are reoccurring. So all the actors appear in all the other films, which I thought was a really, a really sort of nice touch. That it's just so when you get to the third one, yeah. this absolute nutcase is actually playing a fairly, a, a perfectly normal prison officer. Yeah. A, a somewhat likable, yeah. maybe that's air quotations, because <laughs> you have to like them more here than you yeah, did but there. I, and I'll also throw part three out there. Even though three is my third favorite in the franchise, it, it definitely gets shit on by everybody that shit on the second one. And it is cool to see reoccurring characters and to kind of make the story go full circle. Yes, yeah, uh, it's it, it's it's just so different. I mean, I uh, you know, again, you get to the third. Where do you go from two? <laughs> you have to go sort of balls to the wall, batshit crazy, which is what they do. Because yeah. I don't know what else you can do from two. For the sake of time, because I don't want this to be too long of a podcast, I'm going to bring one more to the table, and you can bring one or two more, but my last one is really what got me thinking of the idea for this episode. Anyway, there was one movie that I will forever defend that I feel will forever get shit on, and it's a modern movie. It came out in 2012, and it's from one of my favorite people in the world, Rob Zombie, and that's Lords of Salem. zombie suffers from something that a lot of directors suffer from and that's when they come out of the gate they have a heavy hitter it seems like a lot of people love house of a thousand dare i say more people love devil's rejects and so for those being his first couple films rob zombie you had to like him anyway but he was on top of his game he had the halloween remake 
it was probably 50-50 for a lot of people. I personally loved it. I mean, I love the Halloween franchise. I love zombies, so it's good. But Lords of Salem, I feel like, is when he started to actually disappoint people. And I'm hell of not okay with that because it's a completely different movie, but it's littered with everything that you love about Rob Zombie. It's a horror movie from his mind. It has reoccurring actors and actresses from his group. And it's full of references to other horror movies that he loves. I mean, in this movie, Heidi, she lives in this apartment. And in her bedroom, she's always watching classic horror movies on her TV. And her wall has a giant trip to the moon, which is a silent film. I mean, it's awesome. And I get that people kind of feel like this movie goes off the wall. And it does, and for all the right reasons, but... This is the one movie I will say on my list that if you watch it once and you hate it, watch it again. Because I fell victim to that and I loved it more the second and third time I watched it. Because I avoided my expectations. I knew kind of what I was getting into. And I was able to start to see other things. Like I always liked the movie, but then I started to love it the more times I watched it. And certain things started, like Bruce Davison's in the movie. I mean, Ken Forey's in the movie. Uh the guy who's in everything oh, else. Oh, Jeff, Jeff Daniel. You know? yeah, uh, Jeff. Is it Jeff Daniel? Okay, see, I thought I was wrong because I'm like, Jeff Daniels. No, that's that other motherfucker. No, Jeff Daniel Phillips. He's awesome in this. He's actually one of the two reasons I wanted to grow my beard out because I was like, man, that looks really cool. I wonder if I could do that. But it's such a cool movie. Got a cool soundtrack. And the dude is from Salem, Massachusetts. So throw your hands up for more to say. Yeah, I mean, it's... I, I was, um, like you said, uh, I was one of those that the first time I saw it, I was like, this doesn't feel like a Rob Zombie film. Um, it's kind of, it's, if you line up all the Rob Zombie films, this would be the one you kind of, this is something weird here, <laughs> which I, I think. Yeah, like you could almost take all his other movies and pretend they're in the same universe just because of how like serial slasher mm. crazy murderous like in some way he could write a movie that connected all of them but with this one exactly like you're saying it's the black sheep it's the oddball it's the halloween three of his films and i think for most people that hurts them but you know i think that's that purely defines why i call this underrated is because it gets more hate than it deserves and, and i'll let you go back to what you were saying but man i i totally agree with you that this is the weird one but that is also yeah, kind of what makes it. Yeah, kind of I mean, cool. th- this was. I think this was the film where I really, really, really started realizing how much of a crush I have on Cherry Moon Zombie. She is stunning mm, yeah. in this film, <laughs> absolutely stunning. It's um, oh, head to toe, incredible. Um, <laughs> head to toe. <laughs> God, sorry, because um, Rob Zombie films are, are always so kind of out there and and kind of in your face and brash this this was almost it was kind of his attempt at a traditional sort of slow burning psychological horror almost but sure. it, it was you know it was a really good film i mean first time i was i watched it, i i i'd only seen i think i've seen house of a thousand corpses fairly recently before that devil's rejects i've seen i sort of saw this one oh it's a rob zombie film and then watched it the once and sort of yeah yeah i get it but uh you know wasn't quite sure i think i watched it twice more and and i've now i have a love for the film 
uh, and I appreciate it for what it is. Very much like like with Halloween three, it's it makes it better. You know, you can't accuse Rob Zombie of just doing the same film for sort of four times. Right. I mean, you can't knock the guy for trying something different. And so he goes from serial killers and murderers, and now he dabbles into witchcraft. I mean, like I said, it's Salem, Massachusetts. Okay, we know where this is happening, right? But it's so cool because much like movies, the first thing that comes to my mind is like Rosemary's Baby. How much of that movie takes place in this apartment complex guess what okay rob zombie does the same thing here and he does it masterfully like the camera work just going down the halls and in between certain door frames and whatnot but then also transcending into the one room where that's kind of like the gateway to hell so to speak or where our demon is like all that kind of horrific shit that happens it's so cool and we get to see meg foster and we get to see d wallace i I mentioned bruce davidson you mentioned um sherry moon zombie we mentioned jeff daniel phillips i mean judy geeson i mean all these people in here that just make these appearances just make it that much better and it does hurt to say that there were a couple of scenes that were cut out from this movie that I love to see because Sid Haig has an uncredited appearance along with Michael Berryman, and I would do anything to see those guys play another role together. I mean, hell, Sid Haig, we're here in you know horror month, giving more love to Sid Haig, but you know, I I just think that everything he does is a work of art. And either like him or you love, or no, that is not true. People don't like or love him. They either love him or hate him. And I love him. You love him. And I hope a lot of people out there do. But this is a movie that if you have not watched it because you've heard how bad it is, okay, take that with a grain of salt. Watch the movie on your own. Don't. This is not a movie you put on at a party. This is not a movie you get a group of friends together and drink beer. No, this is a movie that. If you want to go into the mind of Rob Zombie and combine it with some witchcraft and some rock and roll, kick back, turn the lights out, watch the movie, think about it for a while, let it really settle in, think about this podcast, and either A, send me your hate mail, or B, watch it again and see if I'm right. Absolutely. Uh, 100% with you there. How would you like to close this out tonight? Let's roll out the big guns. Now, you know how much love I've got for this film. I know how much love you've got for this film i know how much love jenny's got to this film let's go to 2001 the finest of the friday the 13th films jason x in the year 2455 on a routine training mission a team of students is about to discover a life form frozen in time they're on their way back. The pepper donkey and power the lab. You brought him on board? Everything's under control, man. What the hell is going on? Jason Voorhees, that's what's going on. He's an unstoppable killing machine. Ah! It's okay, he just wanted his machete back. How do we get off the ship? I don't know. Look, we're gonna be alright. What, are you high? I think we're finally okay. What the hell is that? You've got to be kidding me. Oh, wow. He's been modified. Oh, you think? You guys might want to run.
don't you just stick your head out and have a peek? Oh yes, that's a great way to end it. There is, there is, there is no way you can do a list like this without having Jason X on there. Basically, after so many Friday the Thirteenth films, it got to a point where they've just gone. What is the craziest thing we can do here? And I'll give them their credit; they absolutely went for it with this film. Uh, they had absolutely no budget. Um, and, 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 and at times that shows, I think all their money went on getting Kane Hodder because the supporting cast are uh, fresh out of drama school, shall we say. But this is one of, I mean, I described it as my guilty pleasure, but uh, since I've been involved, uh, and, and talking to you guys and seeing, uh, you know, listening to your podcast, Brian's podcast, I'm now a Jason X fan and proud. There's no, there's no guilty pleasures anymore. Yes. I'm, I like this film. I really like this film, and I don't care if you don't. That's, I love it, man. And this is another one I truly remember seeing in theater, knowing what to expect, and getting exactly what I had hoped for. And I love what you mentioned about the cast because it's so funny. This is a movie that is horror and sci-fi, and then surrounded by some comedy. And the cast is a perfect rep, minus Kane Hodder. The cast is a perfect representation of a typical sci-fi cast that you would get on the sci-fi channel. And so it's nothing bad. You're just like, okay, they're all on the same level. They're straight out of drama school, whatever the case is. But you expect it, and you're already okay with it. But then you get Kane Hodder, who was the greatest Jason Voorhees of all time, back in his role, having fun with these kids. They're in space, and... You have, and we've already said it, but we're going to say it again, we get a metal soundtrack, man. When you get a scene where Jason kills eight people at one time and Drowning Pool is playing, what is better than no, that? No, that, it's, it's the girl that I thought was going to be the final girl gets taken out in the best possible way. But it was it actually threw me a bit because I thought this girl was, they'd kind of played her up to be quite important to the plot and then gets her face frozen and smashed into a table. Which just came out of nowhere. And I remember watching, it was one of the few films that I've kind of, I've watched and then you just finish and go, wow, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> just, it, it was just, I was gobsmacked when I first got to the end of it, just shaking my head and just, this was amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, I mean, it's uh, the setup, uh, you know, it starts off, I think it's set in 2008 initially, and they finally caught him and they've, um, they've got him in a, they freeze him in a, a cryogenic chamber for study. Obviously, he breaks out, stuff goes wrong. I think they capture him and then he punctures the, the sort of CO2 can and it, it freezes everything. Um, and then somehow cuts to, I think it's like 2450 or something. And, um, <laughs> just this kind of really kind of cliched yet likable bunch of sort of teens turn up which is quite rare for this sort of thing that most of the kids are actually quite likable i mean they're they're, they're real cliched characters you've got you you know but they're sort of future sure. versions so they're soldiers so you've got the, the jock is the big tough one and you've, you've obviously got a nerd who's who's made a android yeah let's let's yeah. <laughs> And it's it's just an absolutely fantastic film. I mean, um, 
really funny. It's laugh a minute. It's big. It's brash. It's it's dumb fun, and I I can't get enough of it. So many horror movies suffer from not knowing what they want to do. And this movie knows from the get-go, look, this is a crazy idea, but we're going to roll with it, and we're going to try to have as much fun and entertain an audience as possible. And though some of the death scenes are CGI'd, they're okay for the time. There are a couple that are practical, and the one you mentioned is possibly by far my favorite Voorhees kill of all time. I mean, nobody expected that. I don't even care. I'm going to spoil it. Her head, she gets pushed into a sink, and she's, like, drowning in the liquid. And then you think that's going to be it. But then her face freezes. And then he picks her back up and looks at her, and then he smashes her face first on the table, and her face breaks open like a goddamn slushy, and we just see cherry juice and ice go all over the... Cr- and it's just like... <gasps> like do you look at everybody beside you, like, is everybody as excited as I am? As I'm wearing my Jason X shirt, what? Yeah, it is so freaking awesome, and... Man, I love that you bring up just this movie because I get excited and I knew it was going to be on your list and then we started talking and I kind of forgot about it. It's so cool. Like, this isn't the only franchise to try this. Leprechaun went to space. Pinhead, Hellraiser 4, went to space. You can definitely send Jason Voorhees to space and I would love to see it happen again. It's not only do you get sort of your standard Jason Voorhees character, when he turns into Mecha Voorhees... (laughs) It just, it came out, again, it's just something that came out of nowhere. You had, oh, they've killed him, you just wait for him to get up. But then the nanobots, sort of, he falls into the nanobot machine. And when he first stands up and he's just <laughs> mecha Jason, it was, it's like, wow. <laughs> this. It provided one of the greatest taglines for a horror movie. It said, evil yeah. gets an upgrade. Like you said, it, is, it knew exactly what it wanted to do. It went from from everything I read about it and and, and stuff like uh, documentaries I've seen. It was probably one of the smoothest Friday the Thirteenth films. There went very few issues. There were only minor tweaks to get it to a to get it to an R rating. It, it was almost like this this sort of perfect storm of a of a little capsule of a film. Yeah. It makes you wonder. Uh, Neil, where the idea came from, because in the movie just before this, Jason Goes to Hell, I remember hearing from the writer that he was given the rights to do the film as long as he got rid of that damn Jason mask. And that was per Sean Cunningham, who was involved in the original, where there was no Jason and no mask, you know, him and Victor Miller. And so that's what he had to work with. And so Jason Goes to Hell, it is what it is. So in this one, it makes you wonder if somebody's like, get rid of that damn Crystal Lake. And so someone's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll fucking get rid of it. As soon as that's to space, you watch this. And so we get this movie. And this movie works so much today because the horror family just gets really excited from... I don't think I said this at the beginning episode. I told Neil, I said, there's rules to this. We have to do movies that people know. We can't just pull shit out of our ass and talk about films that didn't see the light of day. So the movies had to go to theater or at least had to have some sort of wide DVD release. So... Basically, we can't do no Netflix originals, no Shutter originals, no Amazon originals, because believe it or not, some people don't have certain devices. But, you know, if someone needs to be able to go into a store and see this movie, it has to exist. Jason X got a theater release, and I didn't look at the numbers, but you know what? I was there opening weekend, and I absolutely loved it. And I think fans of all kinds of horror genres, whether you like underground movies like Troma and Asylum, or mainstream movies like Saw and I Know What You Did, or whatever the case is, that's a weird thing to put together, but... 
You can appreciate Jason X for any reason, whether you like horror, comedy, or sci-fi, because it's a perfectly... Absolutely. Movie. That's a, a perfect summary of, of what the show's about today, I think. Neil, man, I got to thank you for coming on the episode because you have helped just fill my void of wanting to talk horror, but definitely talk about underrated horror. And man, I want to just, I want to thank you. And it's been so cool having you on here. You know, we did a shoot the breeze. We did some Knight Rider. Now we finally got into an all around horror talk. I can't wait. To see Absolutely. What I, I can't wait to be invited back on again. And that wraps up another episode of Dave's Pop Culture Podcast. I want to thank you guys for tuning in and checking out the episode and listening to Neil and myself talk about underrated horror films. That was seriously one of the funnest horror movie conversations that I've ever got to partake in, and it inspired me to go track down this other trailer. And so, here it is. If you guys want to hear an awesome trailer, this is how it's done. This is Halloween. 666, The Origin of Michael Myers. on fact. Every myth is grounded in truth. For 17 years, the town of Haddonfield, Illinois, has been haunted by a night when evil roamed the streets and a madman ruled the night. Everyone knows his name. Now, everyone will know the truth. I knew what he was, but I never knew why. Halloween sits the origin of Michael Myers. Isn't that trailer badass? You know that it is. This podcast is available on... Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Podbean. I found it on that Podcast Addict thing on an Amazon Kindle. That's pretty cool. So it's in a lot of places. And eventually, I promise, I know I've said it, it will be on YouTube. I already got the intro made. Just gotta, like, do it. Picardi Cola. Do it, do it. Subscribe where you may. And hear the crazy things I say. Especially in this horror craze. On Dave's. <laughs> Culture Podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed that classic episode of Dave's Pop Culture Podcast. Don't forget to follow him on all of his social media, Dave underscore Phantom on Twitter, and the podcast for another world out there on Instagram, as well as Dave Pop Culture Podcast on YouTube, though I don't think he's done anything for a while, but he needs to get on it, damn it. Chop, chop. And don't forget to follow all the podcasts on the SIP Network. That's the Angry Dad Podcast, Five Faith from Fans, Dead Hen Radio, From the Waste, So I Married a Bigfoot, Back in Time Podcast, Paranormal Pativity Podcast, The Terrible Terror Podcast, It Be Like That Podcast. So... Make sure you check all those out, and don't forget, once again, that Rob Zombie Halloween is going to be starting very, very soon, uh, and it's <laughs> you're going to get a ton of Dave and I, and uh, yeah, that's it. Thank you guys very much for listening, and uh, you know, 
I hope you're all doing well and be safe and take care of one another. All right. We'll see you next time. Okay. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.